0: Good morning, church. Did you come hungering for Christ today? I hope so. (laughs) We're so excited to worship with you all this morning. If you're watching online with us, um, I just want to encourage you to reach out to our online hosts. We have them available to pray for you, pray with you. Um, They can even answer questions that you may have. Um, But this morning, we're excited to go into a time of worship, so I just want to invite you all to stand, and uh, we're going to sing unto the Lord together. gates, a mighty river flowing from your heart filling every part of our praise let sing We've waited We've waited for this day We're gathered in your Glory and honor praise jackals right off my face. Yeah. Sing that's the power. That's the power of your name. Just don't
1: God is good, isn't he? Through day, amen, and through Christ's death on the cross, our hope is in a God that is always faithful, that will never let us down, and through our relationship with Christ, we are sealed, and uh, we find our security and our peace in that. So we come together this morning to celebrate communion, to give thanks uh, for what Christ accomplished for us on the cross. This past week, I had an opportunity to go visit one of my daughters up in Wisconsin, And uh, we got to spend some time with her. We don't see her as often. My dad's down in Indy, and I've got grandkids all over the place, and I've got another daughter who lives out uh, east. And our family gets spread out. And the older I get, the more spread out they get. It just seems like when we all get together, though, it is a treat, isn't it? I mean, there's a couple times during the year when our entire family is together. And I just sit back, and I'm just amazed at God's faithfulness, and it's always something that I can celebrate. When we get together as a family, that's something to celebrate. That's what Communion Sunday is. It's an opportunity for our family to come together, to celebrate and to give thanks for the work of Christ on the cross, to give thanks for that and to celebrate the hope that we have in Christ as we anticipate heaven. And so as we participate in Communion this morning, this is an opportunity for you to, to step back and to give thanks. If you have a relationship with Christ, you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit, and we are eagerly anticipating his return. We're eagerly anticipating heaven. And until that time, we know that we have his spirit to guide us and direct us and to strengthen us. and to. and and to give us the strength uh, to live out this life that God's called us to. So I want to invite you in just a few moments to come forward to uh, take communion together. We've got a bread and a cup uh, so you can take the elements and then you can take those back to your seat um, and take communion together as uh, the Lord leads you. But let's give thanks for the hope that is ours in Christ this morning. Father, I just want to thank you for this day of giving us. Jesus, when he was with those disciples, lifted that bread and said, this is my body. that was broken for the forgiveness of your sins when you eat it do this in remembrance of me. And then he lifted that cup up and said, this is a a cup of my blood. It's reflective of my blood that's going to be shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins when you eat these things and drink these things do them in remembrance of man. So we come together this morning to to do just that, to to remember and to give thanks and to ask you to continue to change us and mold us. Into the image of your son, we commit this morning to you. Thank you for the gift of our Springbrook family, and God, we just commit this morning to you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, Amen. So, feel free to make your way to the front and then take minutes as the Lord leads. How
0: great the guys on could not climb. In desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name. Please feel free to stand and continue worship with us this morning. Then came the morning that sealed the promise, your bearing by. You did not stay still in that grave. You did not stay still in that grave. Instead, you rose. Death could not defeat you. For the battle was already won. Father God, this morning we just thank you. God, for seeing us not just as, God, your servants, but also For seeing us as your family. Being sons and daughters in your image. God, and you just, you don't just let us just eat alone. But God, you invite us to the table. You invite us into relationship with you. For that we are so grateful this morning. Father, I pray that you would prepare our hearts to receive your word. God, to hear testimony this morning. And through those things, I pray that you would just speak to us, show us something new, convict us. Because God, you are not done molding and shaping us. We trust you this morning, we love you. We pray all these things in your name amen. You may be seated.
1: Amen. Amen. We are so glad that you are with us today. If you've got those communion cups, if you could just drop those in the trash cans uh, on the way out this morning, we'd appreciate that. But uh, if you are a first or second time guest with us this morning, we are so glad that you are with us. Uh, if this is your first or second time, you can text uh, first time here, we've got a special gift uh, for you for being with us. If you're a regular tender at Springbrook, you can text here. Uh, You've also got a connection card that's on your chair, and uh, you can fill that out if you'd like, and there's a box in the back you can leave that at. If you're uh, watching with us online, uh, it's good to see you. It was fun to chat with you this morning, Uh, so thanks for being with us online as well, but we are glad that you are here today. If you have any questions about Springbrook, we'd love the opportunity uh, to talk with you about that. I don't know if you noticed or not, but... uh, Easter's coming and I want to take a moment to thank our worship decor team for all their hard work and they're going to get an applause <laughs> uh, building those crosses and standing and hanging them and we have got a great Uh, production and worship team here at springbrook if you're interested in being a part of the worship team i know uh, kyle would love the opportunity to uh, talk with you so you can talk with him after the service but thank you to all of our teams that serve faithfully here at springbrook whether it's our first impressions team our children's ministry our small group leaders Uh, we have a great church and so we're so glad that uh, you're here with us to be a part of it you've got those easter connection cards that are on your chair and i know that there are 43 of you that signed up for our Bless Every Home initiative that are praying for 1,500 of your neighbors. And so thank you for participating in that. If you want more information about that, you can visit our website um, or on our app. But uh, you can use those postcards uh, to just write the address down to mail uh, an invite to our Easter service to your neighbor. Uh, Or if you want to just take those with you this morning, we've got some out at the uh, uh, Ministry Center counter as well. You can just put uh, names of anybody that you want to invite. It's a great opportunity to invite somebody to Easter. We have some really special things planned as we move towards Palm Sunday. We have a Seder uh, planned for our Good Friday service, and then we have a powerful message for Easter Sunday morning. And so this is a great opportunity for us to pray that the Spirit of God uh, would go before us to help us to connect with others in our community. So if you want more information about that, please uh, visit our website. We've got some information, as I mentioned, out at the uh, Ministry Center counter uh, today. And ladies, I also know today's the last Sunday that you can buy your Aspire tickets at a discounted rate out in the lobby. And so if you have not re- registered for Aspire, um, you can do that as well. We have got some exciting things planned as we move into spring and towards the summer. And I want to encourage you, if you've not yet downloaded our app or uh, if you're not getting our weekly email, uh, we want to make sure that we keep you informed of all the great things that God's doing at Springbrook. And so uh, you can uh, text the keyword info to that phone number. You can go to our website, springbrook.org slash info. And there you'll find links to our app, to our weekly email, and many other ways uh, to help you keep connected uh, to the things that God's doing here at Springbrook. If you have any questions, please let us know. Uh, today, we're going to be hearing from Mary Zaletti. She's, uh, she's sharing her story. We heard from Bill last week, and Mary wanted to share hers this week. And if you have a story to share, I uh, would love the opportunity to to, uh, to work with you and talk with you about that. You can go to our website. But let's listen to uh, Mary's story, and then Pastor Jeff's going to be out in just a moment.
2: Hi, I'm Mary Zaletti. My husband, Bill, and I have been at Springbrook. Okay. Uh, For over 17 years It's really been a joy And a privilege um, To meet the many wonderful people We have met here through serving In many different areas At church Dylan and I have just been so amazed At seeing how God Is working in our lives And especially through uh, Springbrook Um, During this time God has always been there with us We feel his presence We feel his presence in this this church uh, and all the people that we know Um, our Springbrook family has just been there for us uh, loving on us uh, with their prayers so many prayers and cards and meals and so much more just uh, being able to love on us and Father um, and our small group is just my small group is just amazing Um, they uh, can Continually are calling and asking how we're doing and if we need anything. In our small group, we have loved, we have cried together, we have laughed together. We've been there through um, each other's uh, trials and tribulations, and I, I can't speak enough about our small group. Um, if you're not in one, you should be in one. Bill and I really appreciate each and every day the Lord has given us, and it's been many. Uh, He's been with us through this time. He is continuing to be with us now. And we're still excited to see where the Lord is leading us. Both Bill and I know that there are two possible outcomes. And either way, we know God is there no matter what. We know we are not alone. And we know we have our Springbrook family. Um, They're journeying through this with us. And we just appreciate that so much. Again, we just, we're not alone. God is with us. And our Springbrook family continues to be there with us. Mm.
3: Bill and Mary telling us that they appreciate us. Well, the feeling is definitely mutual. And so thank you both for sharing that. And thank you to... Um, everybody, I just want to express my gratitude. Who came out this past week and you ate at Buena Beef to support our Guatemala missions trip this past Thursday, and so hopefully the food was good. <laughs> I'm sure it was. Mine was great, and, but you're helping us to contribute to, you know, sending 15 individuals, you know, this June in order to build some homes and change some lives for some people, you know, long after we leave. And so, thank you so much for your gratitude. And we'll have another opportunity, not tomorrow, but the following Monday. And so we'll talk about that some more in the uh, next week. And so you're able to eat at uh, Lou Malnati's this time and contribute some. And so we're trying to fatten you up a little bit and, you know, help us a little bit in the process. So thank you. But uh, so as I was thinking about how to introduce this topic today, I was thinking about the United States and how we've been in different times of transition as a nation, how we've been in times where we've been in one mindset or one line of thinking or one way of doing things, and then something has happened in which we've transitioned and we've changed into another mindset or another way of doing things or another way of thinking. There are a couple of these times in just the past hundred years that are significant in my mind, um, the first of which in the 1930s, you know, we were largely an isolationist country, meaning we had oceans on both sides, on the east and west of the United States, and War was raging in Europe and in other parts of the world, but because it didn't affect us directly, we just kind of took a wait and watch and wait and see approach. And of course that all ended in December seventh, nineteen forty one, when the Empire of Japan went and attacked our naval base in Pearl Harbor, Hawaii. And so that, you know, dragged us into the Second World War and after, you know, winning that, we changed from being an isolationist country and we changed from a different mindset to being almost interventionist or being very involved into different things that were going on in the world because we recognized that we needed to be. Another national transition that we've taken is with the Civil Rights Movement. We had a tooth-cared society that was based on race, and thanks to the efforts of several activists like Martin Luther King, Jr., we transitioned from that to being akin to what he said in his speech Uh, where we are a nation where, you know, we look at not at the person's color, but we judge them rather by the content of their character. And so there was a national transition that, you know, took place, you know, during that, you know, period of time. The last one that I wanted to bring up, and I'm sorry if it brings some PTSD for some people, but it was just such an obvious example. But during the 2020 COVID pandemic, we went from being able to go to the grocery store without hassle, being out at church you know being at you know ball games being at concerts and doing all the fun things that we do and we transition very quickly right from being there to being in isolation being in our homes you know for periods of time and even to the point of not being able to see people's facial expressions because we have those masks over our face and so i think even time will tell you know what will come of that particular transition but it's something that we all did together as a nation and, and even the world with that last one And so if you've been trekking along with us, we've been going through, you know, the book of Exodus, and we're telling the story about a nation that is in transition. The nation of Israel, you know, had been in Egypt for some 430 years. Just to give you some perspective, we were talking about the United States. We've only been in existence for some 250 years. And so for 430 years, the nation of Israel, you know, were in Egypt— And, you know, they were slaves there. And so when God finally, you know, called them out of that nation, when God called them out of Egypt, it was going to take some time for them to be able to transition to understand who it was that God was, who it was that they were following. Could they trust him? Did he have the power of the Egyptian gods, or was his power greater than that? And so if you've been with us so far, we've took a look and we started with the calling of Moses, how Um, the, you know, Hebrew boys were supposed to be killed according to Pharaoh, but, you know, there were some that decided they were going to follow God rather than men, and so they, you know, spared, you know, Moses as a baby, and he wound up being raised in Pharaoh's household. And then interestingly enough, it was that person Moses that God called in order to confront Pharaoh and to tell him to let the people of Israel go. And so, Pharaoh, of course, wasn't willing to relent and let the people go at first, and so God sent a series of plagues in ever-increasing severity to the point where it ended with the tenth and the final one where it took, you know, the firstborn of all of Egypt, including Pharaoh's own son. And so they finally get to the point where they say, enough is enough. Just take your stuff, get out, go some more place else. We don't want you here. And then if you were here last week, you know, Pastor Tim went over you know, some of the initial wilderness wanderings and how you know, God led them around in an indirect way towards the promised land to which he was going to bring them. And so I want to start a little bit there. So if you want to open up your Bibles to uh, you know, Exodus chapter 13, we're going to talk about you know, another point of transition for them, one that's been very important in terms of their overall ability to be able to trust God and to know who he was. And so um, first I want to... Stay in Chapter 13 a little bit for some context, because what's kind of interesting about what we're going to read through here today is we see that Pharaoh comes back into the picture. So you think he's gone, but no, no Pharaoh he comes back and he comes back at you know God's direction. But um, again, for way of context, if you're in Exodus 13, just read for me please, Um, you know verses you know 17 and 18. It says when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, Lest the people change their minds and see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness towards the Red Sea. And so we see that the people are going around this indirect path and they're headed towards the Red Sea. But the first thing I want you to see as things change is first that God brings about the circumstances of the story that we're going to read. God is intimately involved in the details and bringing about exactly what was going to happen at the Red Sea. It's God's direction. It's not something, you know, that happened by accident. Move down, um, you know, from chapter 13, and then go to, you know, chapter 14, verses 1 and 2. So we find an interesting course correction where they're going one way, and then all of a sudden God tells them to do something different. So there in chapter 14, verse 1 says, "'Then the Lord said to Moses, "'Tell the people of Israel to turn back in and camp "'in front of Pehahiroth, between Migdal and the sea,' in front of a phone, you shall encamp facing it you know by the sea and so you know the question kind of that this begs for is, is why does god tell them to stop what they're doing and to go in and encamp near the sea you know what is he doing you know they were on their way somewhere and then all of a sudden you know they just stop in their tracks and they're just to kind of camp here for a while so why have them camp near the sea and the answer is you know quite obvious as we read later is that god is bringing about the circumstances in which you know pharaoh is going to come after them Pharaoh is that big fish that God wants to land, and so he's baiting the hook, and he's trying to reel him in by thinking that the wilderness you know, has entrapped the Israelites, and they're wandering around, and they don't know what they're doing or where they're going. And so it seems like easy pickings for him, and so he's baiting him. He's pulling him into in his trap because he's going to show Israel what it is that he's going to do. And so it's setting up this contest between, you know, God and Pharaoh, the final contest, we're not going to see, you know, Pharaoh, you know, again after this point. And so, if you are in you know, chapter fourteen, then read verses three and four. Um, he continues with Moses. He says, "For the Pharaoh will say to the people of Israel, uh, will say of the people of Israel, rather, excuse me, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord." And it says, and they did so. So they encamped by the sea. And so again, God is determined to make an example out of Pharaoh and to show exactly who he is to both you know, the Egyptians and the Israelites. As we just read in you know, verse 4 there, it says the, he wants the Egyptians to know that he is the Lord. Th- those you know who are opposing him. In addition, we'll read in a little bit at the end of chapter 14. It talks about Israel seeing what God is going to do. And it says he does this so that the people feared the Lord and believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. And so there's some trust that's you know being built between you know, God and his people. And he's going to use uh, Pharaoh in order to do it. And so he's baiting him and he's pulling him into this conflict. Now, I know some of you might be tempted to think, as kind of I was at one point, you know, the Israelites have already left. Can't God do this by a different way? Why is he going to pull Pharaoh back into it? you know, he took the guy's firstborn son, you know, hasn't he suffered enough? Why are we making an example of him? Well, I can't prove this, but I think, you know, that there's a couple of reasons in which, you know, God selects Pharaoh. The first of which is that God does not entertain rivals to him lightly, and Pharaoh was just not some figurehead. He wasn't just, you know, somebody that they vote in or something like that. The Israelite, excuse me, the Egyptians actually looked at Pharaoh as a god, and one of the works that I consulted this week talked about the Egyptians describing Pharaoh as eternal, worthy of worship, omniscient, which means all knowing, that he imbued Egypt with existence and with power. So kind of similar language that we would see there in Genesis 1, used of the Holy Spirit. This is what the Egyptians, you know, were thinking about the Pharaoh, this you know person, you know, who was overseeing Egypt. They taught that he was the Ka, which meant he was the life force or he was the soul of Egypt. And so if, he, if he's going to strike at something, he's going to strike at the top. He's going to make an example of the one who was the head of uh, the world power at that time. And so God chooses Pharaoh in order to contrast his power with his and to show how he is greater than Pharaoh is. And so you know, the Israelites will see that and they'll be able to take that in and that will help them you know further along their way as they go into their wilderness wanderings. And so, of course, Pharaoh takes the bait, and God hardens his heart, and Pharaoh um, you know, gets ready, and they decide that they're going to go after the Israelites. So if you're still in chapter 14, take a look at verses six and seven, and we see some of Pharaoh's preparations. It says, "So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him, and he took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them." And so again, a showdown is being set up between Egypt. The world power at the time, and with his six hundred chariots and all you know, the officers over them, and so the strongest forces that he has you know are coming after the Israelites who are wandering around in the wilderness. You probably have some malnourished men because they happen to be you know slaves, and then they have their wives and they have children, not exactly a formidable force right <laughs> and so there 's this Dire contrast that's going on and so you know God brings about the circumstances again It's not anything you know that happens by chance, but then God also provides salvation And so he's going to make it obvious that it is He who is saving them and not anything else not their strength not their wit it is you know God who is you know going to save them and so as you know Pharaoh comes with his 600 chariots Israel goes into full blown panic mode and so they know that they're coming and they're completely defenseless. And so they cry out to the Lord and then they cry out you know, to Moses, you know, trying to figure out what to do. Um, if you're in chapter 14, take a look at verses 10 through 12. It says, When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? what have you done to us, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not what we said to you when we were in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And so all of a sudden Israel, you know, has been let go, and so they're thinking this is a good thing, we're going to go to a new place. And all of a sudden, very quickly, they're thrown into the depths of despair again, because they think they're coming to be slaughtered. Or perhaps be taken captive again and, and, you know, treated worse in Egypt than they were before. And so they start acting almost like, you know, a kid who maybe they take on something like a trumpet or a musical instrument. And then when it comes to be more than what it is that they expected and there's more that it entails, they just kind of have the attitude, like, I, I don't want to do this anymore. Can we just go back to before when, we, you know, we didn't, you know, have to be doing these things? And so... You know, they want to go back to Egypt. They want to go back into slavery because that's preferable to being slaughtered in their mind. But then Moses answers the people. In essence, his response to them is, just watch. Just sit and just watch. And watch what is about to happen. And so God gives his game plan to Moses. He tells him exactly what it is that he's going to do. Take a look at chapter 14, verses 13 through 16. It says, And Moses said to the people, Fear not and stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. That must have gotten their ears perked up. And it says, The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And so the plan is for, you know, God to divide the sea and for the people to cross over onto the other side. And so, you know, God is going to save them even though, you know, Pharaoh is at their back. And so notice it also says that the people would cross on dry ground. You know, it never ceases to amaze me that people take this narrative, they take this story, and then they try and assume some naturalistic explanation for it. No, there is no naturalistic explanation for it. This is a miracle of God that he did to show them who it was that he was. He's doing something so that they would speak about this moment for generations, and they would have gratitude in their hearts for the salvation that God would bring to them. This is not any naturalistic event. They crossed through on dry ground after the sea was parted. And so then Moses stretches out his hand, and God parts the sea as he said he would and the Israelites t- take their time crossing over, and they did so, you know, in the evening. Take a look at me at verses uh, 21 and 22 of chapter 14. It says there, "...then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove back the sea by a strong east wind, and all night, excuse me, all night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground." and the waters being a wall to them on their right and on their left. And so, you know, God divides, you know, the sea here for the people to cross over. But then at the same time, because you're wondering, like, this is kind of a slow-moving large group of individuals that, you know, are going across a narrow way. You know, can't, you know, Egypt just kind of come in with their chariots and, you know, can't they, you know, overtake them? So we see at the same time that God is actually running interference, you know, for the Israelites And so take a look, go back just a couple of verses from where we just read in verses 19 through 20. It says, Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was a cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. And so as the people of Israel are making their way you know, across where Moses you know, has split the sea by God's power, it's like daytime at night. It's lit up for them, and they're walking forward and moving across and taking all of their people and moving to see their salvation. At the same time, you have the Egyptians who are on the other side of the cloud, and it's pitch black. It's in the evening, and if you've ever been out somewhere where there's no stars, no moon, You know, no street lights or anything back there, and then you have somebody intentionally, you know, blacking out any light that would exist. It's very hard to do anything, let alone, you know, get your chariots together to be able to pursue your enemy. And so God is running interference for the Israelites. He's protecting them. He's got this wall that He's, you know, put up and He's keeping them, you know, from over, you know, taking Israel as they're making their way over. And so while the Israelites then eventually cross over to safety, God judged the Egyptian forces, and he ends up wiping them out. Um, chapter 14, verses 24 through 25, it says, In the morning watch, after they've crossed here, um, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloak looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them and against the Egyptians. And then move forward to verses 27 through 28. It says, So Moses stretched his hand out over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And the Egyptians fled into it, and the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen, and all of the host of Pharaoh that followed them into the sea were gone. Not one of them remained. And so... uh, As Israel crosses, as they see that they're on the other side, God finally lifts the veil in the morning time, and they're able to see that they're in the midst of these waters. The chariot wheels get clogged up. They're not able to make their way back. And then Moses closes the waters over them. And so instead of being victorious in which they overtake this helpless people, they're all drowned, and not one of them ends up being left. And so through this, God accomplishes this goal of having the people understand more about who he was, and in fearing him, and believing in him. Uh, chapter 14, verses you know, 30 through 31, it says, Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Can you imagine the contrast between thinking that you're dead one minute, and then the next minute, you know, your enemies are strewn out on the seashore, all dead? And so, as the verse we read before says in 31, Israel saw the great power that the Lord had used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. And so, you know, God had accomplished his goal in, in doing this miracle for the Israelites, and he's building trust equity with them because they're going to need that you know, going forward in the future as they continue you know, wandering towards the promised land and eventually overtaking that and settling that. And so God brings about the circumstances of Pharaoh coming after them. God provides salvation for the Israelites. But then afterwards, God receives the glory. God is glorified by the Israelites because of the salvation that he brought to them. As we move forward into chapter 15, we see here that there's a spontaneous concert of worship and praise that breaks out amongst the Israelites and so they've moved from one extreme to another, from thinking that they were certainly going to die that day to seeing their enemies strewn with their you know, bodies on the shore. And so they break out in worship and praise of this God you know, who saved them. Uh, chapter 15, verse 1 says, Then Moses and the people of Israel sing this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed glor- gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father is God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his hosts he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them, and they went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power, your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you will overthrow your adversaries, you will send out your fury, it consumes them like stubble. And so this goes on and on again about all the wondrous things, and they extol God's virtues, you know, for what He's done. And the song that breaks out is all about the Lord. It is all about God. Brian Chapel, one of the works I consulted this week, kind of broke some of these things that Israel praises God for into different categories and so he talks about praising God for his covenant which means his promise you know to his people he made promises to them but also to their father and so he's known them you know since the days of Abraham and he's continued in that promise and that covenant with them and so they praise him for that they praise him for God's character being majestic in holiness being set apart and greater than any other you know gods of the peoples around them God's name you know the Lord which um, you see, at capital L-O-R-D, that's Yahweh. That's God's personal name that he is known by. And so he makes that known to the Israelites. And we can praise God for that because we know him even more intimately. We know him, you know, through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, you know, they praise him for that. They praise God for his work that he stretches out his, you know, right hand, which is, you know, the you know, strong hand, you know, that they would use in that day in order to um, encapsulate and defeat their enemies And also, you know, God's purposes they, you know, praise him for, that the Lord will reign forever and ever, and that his people who follow them will also prosper, and I think that the fact that their God is greater than any other. And so, you know, this is what breaks out after uh, Moses, you know, parts the Red Sea and the Egyptians fall into it, and they just can't help but talking about what it is, um, you know, that God has done for them. And so, as we come through the story, I think it's important to ask, what can we learn you know, personally from an event that you know happened to a nation some thousands of years ago? Is it just a cool story that we tell kids in a Sunday school class, or you know, over in Kid City there? No, I think there's much, much more that we have to learn from that. And in fact, you know, the Apostle Paul thought that as well. In First Corinthians chapter ten, um, he, he references this passage and he says some interesting things about it. And so. He says these things not to say that this event did happen. He very much believed that it did, that it was a historical event, but he believed that there was more that we could glean or learn from that than just knowing that it happened. And so in First Corinthians chapter ten, verse one says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers, meaning the Israelites in that day, were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And so he's referencing this event from Exodus fourteen. And then he says twice in that very same passage Now, these things took place as examples for us. And then again, these things happened as an example, but they were written for our instruction. And so, as he says this, you may be thinking about how are these examples? How are these things that are written for our instruction? What are we to learn or to glean from these? And I think the primary thing is that it's the very same God that we follow today. The very same God that meets with each one of us that listens and answers our prayers is the very same God that was with the Israelites on the day. He brought them salvation, and he will bring salvation to us too. In fact, he's already done so through through the Lord Jesus Christ. If I were to take some of the similar points that we went through through the Israelites and I was to adapt them to our situation, we can see here that uh, God planned our salvation. Each one of us, you know, is a sinner from the time that we're born. We're born with a, you know, moral, you know, knowledge of what's right and what's wrong. And too often we choose the wrong, don't we? And so it's necessary for us to be saved. There's, you know, salvation that has to be, you know, purchased for us and it had to be planned. If every one of us was to, you know, have a microchip that they could implant in our brain and then somehow it was to record our secret thoughts and feelings over the course of a week— and then we could go back and download it in the computers back there and play it for everybody to see. Who would be excited about coming to church the next week? <laughs> not many, I would suppose. And, and so, you know, we can uh, laugh at that and we can say, you know, uh, you know, joke about ourselves that, you know, we're not so bad, but, you know, we are all sinners. And so, you know, salvation is, you know, required for us. And so God plan that salvation. He's in the details, and he, he brought it forth, and so he sent, you know, Jesus Christ at the exact right time that he wanted to during the Roman Empire. He brought him not in a king's palace, but, you know, he placed him in a manger, which is essentially an animal's feeding trough, and that same kind of ordinariness, you know, continued on through his earthly ministry, and so you know, he chose people who were ordinary. He spent time with ordinary people and with sinners and because he's trying to tell us you know, something about God, about who he cares for. And so he planned our salvation because he cares deeply for each one of us. But then God the Son purchased our salvation. So Jesus Christ was the only one who never sinned in his entire life. And so he died on a sinner's cross in our place. Jesus Christ took the penalty for our sins on the cross so that if we ask him for forgiveness, we may be able to be forgiven of our sins and have that relationship with him. And it was God the Son who purchased that salvation. Just as God you know, brought the Israelites to salvation that day, Jesus Christ purchased the salvation for us that we're able to accept even today. And at the end, even, I'll make that part of my prayer. So if you have not uh, chosen to trust Christ, if you do not have a relationship with him, you can make the day today that you're able to do so. But then after, you know, we understand these two things, we have to receive salvation and glorify God with our life. You know, the Israelites, when the waters were parted, you know, they didn't just stand there, right? They could have just stood there. Or they, you know, I know they didn't go f- fishing in the side of the waters as some of the cartoons I saw this week show. No, no, they, they hightailed it. They got their button in gear, and they moved across because they knew that this was something that God was doing, and they wanted you know, to be saved from this impending doom. And so we also have an action step. We know that salvation has been planned and purchased for us, but we have to receive that salvation. It sometimes is often done in a you know form of a prayer or, or some other form, but, um, but after receiving that salvation, then we glorify God with our life. And so we give all of ourselves to him as an you know, act of worship and praise. Uh, Romans, you know, twelve, one and two, talking about you know spiritual active worship and, and giving ourselves and renewing our minds and you know being made new in Him, and so those very same things that applied to Israel that day, same God, and they apply also to us. Uh, going forward for those who already have a relationship with Jesus, you know, we understand this inherently because we still come through different trials and distresses, don't we? There are different red seas that get you know, plucked in front of us here, and so we have to stand in front of God and say, how are you going to deliver me from this? You know, what miracle of God are you going to do in order to, you know, to save me? And so we still need to trust and be reliant on him. And, and so it's akin then when he does save us from those things, when he does bring us through Red Seas, you know, that we tell stories to others about how God is great and what it is that he's done for us. You know, one of the things that I found really interesting, and I know I've read this passage before, and uh, yeah, I read it again this week, and I was just like, I feel like I've never seen this before. Anybody ever have that when you're, you know, reading through the Bible? It, was, it comes from Re- Revelation chapter 15, and the context here is um, a group of individuals who overcome, you know, the Antichrist and all the crazy stuff that goes on with that, and, um, you know, they end up, you know, being saved, you know, by God. And so it says when they sing in their hearts with gratitude, what do they sing? It says they sing the Song of Moses, the servant of God, the song of the Lamb. And so they sing the same song that the Israelites sing, you know, back in Exodus chapter 15, because you have the same God that was saving them, the same God is saving us today, and the same God will be saving them in the future. And so we can join them in that song, and we will join them in that song and sing the song of Moses, you know, for God, you know, continually saves. And And again, it's so important that we just... Um, tell stories of what it is, you know, that God, you know, has done for us. You know, this um, thing that we're doing where we, you know, put people, you know, up on the uh, screen and we have you tell your stories, those are so powerful and impactful to individuals. You have no idea. You know, some people will come in here and they'll sit and they'll listen to a sermon like this and that'll be impactful for some. Others, you know, they'll listen to the music and that will speak to them. But the outsiders, the people who are outside of, you know, these four walls here, they're watching you. And they're trying to see if the things that you believe, you know, are true. And you know how they know they're true? They, they see if they're true or not by how, if you guys really believe in it. If he, God is having an impact in your lives. If he's um, doing things in your life that are only explainable by the fact that you know, you know, who God is. And that he's, you know, coming to save you. And so when we tell those stories, we put those stories on display. And we glorify God and we tell others and we choreograph that Yes, God is real. Yes, he cares and and loves us deeply. And yes, uh, you know, he comes to bat for us in our times of most dire need. And we look forward to spending an eternity with him because we know him intimately. It's just not something ethereal up in the air that we hope that this is true. We know that it is, and then we can speak to that. And so let me just challenge you that, you know, if you're willing to tell your story, we, I would be wonderful if we were able to hear the story of everybody in this room because if you know God as Savior, he's affected you deeply in some way. And so, you know, springbrook.org forward slash stories. Um, if you need some help in doing so, you know, we, we would be uh, happy to go ahead and help you with that. Um, and in fact, um, if you have questions about having a relationship with Christ after I pray here. If you've, you know, done that today and you want to take your next step on your journey, you can text "Next Step" to 844 or you can let us know that you do want to share your story, and, you know, we'll, um, you know, get you queued up so that you can have a chance to tell others about what it is that God's done for you. And so, you know, let's glorify him today, and you know, I pray that you know, we will all do so, because he is certainly worthy of it. And so pray with me if you would. Um, Lord God, thank you for saving me some 20 years ago. And um, I just pray right now for anybody who you know, is hearing you know, the story about what you did for the Israelites. And um, Lord God, just knowing today that you have done the same exact thing for them. You know, While we are sinners by nature, Lord God, you put your own son on a sinner's cross, even though he did not sin himself, but he died as a substitution. He died in our place And so I pray that um, anybody listening would just place their faith and their trust in him and that they would, you know, ask Jesus Christ to forgive them of their sins and, Lord, to ask for your Holy Spirit to come and indwell them and to give them the power to live in newness of life and to be able to glorify you with that life. And so, Lord God, thank you for these examples that you've given us. Thank you that they've been given for our instruction, that we can learn from them and that we can learn and understand and glorify the same God who brought the Israelites through the Red Sea and vanquished the Egyptians is the same God that meets with us when we pray today. And so thank you, Lord. We love you. We glorify you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: Please stand with us.
0: Let's not go just completely untouched by what God has done here. Because this morning what should have happened is you should have been recharged. We should be able to apply the sermon. Bask in the spirit and in doing so As we leave, we're filled with a joy that we cannot help but share. And so this morning, I hope that that was what happened for you. Our great mission as Christians is to share this living hope This amazing discovery that our God is not a God that is inactive, but instead a God that is proactive for hearts. And He is seeking worshipers, church. He wants nothing more but to be in relationship with His sons and with His daughters so this morning as we leave, let's go knowing that that is our mission, to share this amazing gospel, to share this amazing joy that resides deep within us, that everlasting hope. So let's go in peace this morning to love others, to share that amazing truth that we know. Let's go in peace. Thank you.